Chapter thirty five of East Lynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. East Lynn by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter thirty five. A Mishap to the Blue Spectacles. Part one. Mr. Carlyle and Barbara were seated at breakfast when, somewhat to their surprise, Mr. Dill was shown in. Following close upon his heels came Justice Hare, and close upon his heels came Squire Pinner, while bringing up the rear was Colonel Bethel. All the four had come up separately, not together, and all four were out of breath, as if it had been a race which should arrive soonest. Quite impossible was it for Mr. Carlyle, at first, to understand the news they brought. All were talking at once, in the utmost excitement, and the fury of Justice Hare alone was sufficient to produce temporary deafness. Mr. Carlyle caught a word of the case presently. "'A second man? Opposition? Well, let him come in,' he good-humouredly cried. "'We shall have the satisfaction of ascertaining who wins in the end.' "'But you have not heard who it is, Mr. Archibald,' cried old Dill. "'It's stand a contest with him?' raved Justice Hare. "'He—' "'The fellow wants hanging,' interjected Colonel Bethel. "'Couldn't he be ducked?' suggested Squire Pinner. Now all these sentences were ranted out together, and their respective utterers were fain to stop till the noise subsided a little. Barbara could only look from one to the other in astonishment. "'Who is this formidable opponent?' asked Mr. Carlyle. There was a pause. Not one of them but had the delicacy to shrink from naming that man to Mr. Carlyle. The information came at last from old Dill, who dropped his voice while he spoke it. Mr. Archibald, the candidate who has come forward is that man Levison. Of course, Carlyle, you'll go into it now, neck and crop, cried Justice Hare. Mr. Carlyle was silent. You won't let the beast frighten you from the contest, uttered Colonel Bethel in a loud tone. There's a meeting at the Buck's Head at ten, said Mr. Carlyle, not replying to the immediate question. I will be with you there. "'Did you not say, Mr. Dill, that is where the scoundrel Levison is, at the Buck's Head?' "'He was there,' answered Mr. Dill. "'I expect he is ousted by this time. I asked the landlord what he thought of himself for taking in such a character, and what he supposed the justice would say to him. He vowed with tears in his eyes that the fellow should not be there another hour, and that he should never have entered it had he known who he was.' A little more conversation, and the visitors filed off. Mr. Carlyle sat down calmly to finish his breakfast. Barbara approached him. "'Archibald, you will not suffer this man's insolent doings to deter you from your plans. You will not withdraw,' she whispered. "'I think not, Barbara. He has thrust himself offensively upon me in this measure. I believe my better plan will be to take no more heed of him than I should of the dirt under my feet.' "'Right, right,' she answered, a proud flush deepening the rose on her cheeks. Mr. Carlyle was walking into West Lynn. There were the placards, sure enough, side by side with his own, bearing the name of that wicked coward who had done him the greatest injury one man could do to another. Verily he must possess a face of brass to venture there. "'Archibald, have you heard the disgraceful news?' The speaker was Miss Carlyle, who had come down upon her brother like a ship with all sails set. Her cheeks wore a flush, her eyes glistened, her tall form was drawn up to its most haughty height. I have heard it, Cornelia, and had I not, the walls would have enlightened me. Is he out of his mind? Out of his reckoning, I fancy, 
replied Mr. Carlyle. "'You will carry on the contest now,' she continued, her countenance flashing. "'I was averse to it before, but I now withdraw all my objection. "'You will be no brother of mine if you yield the field to him.' "'I do not intend to yield it. "'Good. You bear on upon your course, and let him crawl on upon his. "'Take no more heed of him than if he were a viper. "'Archibald, you must canvass now.' no said mr carlyle i shall be elected without canvas you'll see cornelia there will be plenty of canvassing for you if you don't condescend to take the trouble my indifferent brother i'll give a thousand pounds myself for ale to the electors take care laughed mr carlyle keep your thousand pounds in your pocket cornelia i have no mind to be unseated on the plea of bribery and corruption "'Here's Sir John Dobede galloping in, with a face as red as the sun in a fog. "'Well, it may be he has heard the news. "'I can tell you, Archibald, West Lynne is in a state of excitement "'that has not been its lot for many a day.' "'Miss Carlyle was right. "'Excitement and indignation had taken possession of West Lynne. "'How the people rallied around Mr. Carlyle. "'Town and country were alike up in arms. "'But government interest was rife at West Lynne, "'and whatever the private and public feeling might be, "'collectively or individually, "'many votes should be recorded for Sir Francis Levison. "'One of the first to become cognizant of the affair "'was Lord Mount Severn. "'He was at his club one evening in London, "'poring over an evening paper "'when the names Carlyle, West Lynne, caught his view.' Knowing that Mr. Carlyle had been named as the probable member, and heartily wishing that he might become such, the Earl naturally read the paragraph. He read it, and read it again. He rubbed his eyes. He rubbed his glasses. He pinched himself to see whether he was awake or dreaming. For believe what the paper asserted, that Sir Francis Levison had entered the lists in opposition to Mr. Carlyle, and was at West Lynne busily canvassing, he could not. "'Do you know anything of this infamous assertion?' he inquired of an intimate friend. "'Infamous, whether true or false. "'It's true. I heard of it an hour ago. "'Plenty of cheek that Levison must have.' "'Cheek!' repeated the dismayed Earl, feeling as if every part of him, body and mind, were outraged by the news. "'Don't speak of it that way. The hound deserves to be gibbeted.' He threw aside the paper, quitted the club, returned home for a carpet-bag, and went shrieking and whistling down to West Lynne, taking his son with him. Or, if he did not whistle and shriek, the engine did. Fully determined was the Earl of Mount Severn to show his opinion of the affair. On these fine spring mornings, their breakfast over, Lady Isabel was in the habit of going into the grounds with the children. They were on the lawn before the house when two gentlemen came walking up the avenue, or rather, one gentleman and a handsome young stripling growing into another. Lady Isabel thought she should have dropped, for she stood face to face with Lord Mount Severn. The Earl stopped to salute the children and raised his hat to the strange lady. "'It is my governess, Madame Vine.' said Lucy. A silent courtesy from Madame Vine. She turned away her head and gasped for breath. "'Is your papa at home, Lucy?' cried the Earl. "'Yes, I think he is at breakfast. I am so glad you are come.' Lord Mount Severn walked on, holding William by the hand, who had eagerly offered to take him to papa. Lord Vane bent over Lucy to kiss her. A little while, a very few more years, and my young lady would not hold up her rosy lips so boldly. "'You have grown a dearer girl than ever, Lucy. "'Have you forgotten our compact?' "'No,' laughed she. "'And you will not forget it?' 
"'Never,' said the child, shaking her head. "'You shall see if I do.' "'Lucy is to be my wife,' cried he, turning to Madame Vine. "'It is a bargain, and we have both promised. "'I mean to wait for her till she is old enough. "'I like her better than anybody else in the world.' "'And I like him,' spoke up Miss Lucy, "'and it's all true.' Lucy was a child, it may almost be said an infant, and the viscount was not of an age to render important such avowed passions. Nevertheless, the words did thrill through the veins of the hearer. She spoke, she thought, not as Madame Vine would have spoken, and thought, but as the unhappy mother, the ill-fated Lady Isabel. "'You must not say these things to Lucy. It could never be.' Lord Vane laughed. "'Why?' asked he. "'Your father and mother would not approve.' "'My father would. I know he would. He likes Lucy. As to my mother, oh well, she can't expect to be master and mistress, too. You be off in a minute, Lucy. I want to say some things to Madame Vine. Has Carlyle shot that fellow?' he continued, as Lucy sprung away. "'My father is so stiff, especially when he's put up, that he would not sully his lips with the name or make a single inquiry when we arrived. Neither would he let me, and I walked up here with my tongue burning.' She would have responded, what fellow, but she suspected too well, and the words died away on her unwilling lips. That brute Levison, if Carlyle riddled his body with shots for this move, and then kicked him till he died, he'd only get his deserts, and the world would applaud. He opposed Carlyle. I wish I had been a man a few years ago. He'd have got a shot through his heart then, I say. Dropping his voice, did you know Lady Isabel? yes no yes she was at a loss what to say almost as unconscious what she did say she was lucy's mother you know and i loved her i think that's why i love lucy for she is the very image of her where did you know her here i knew her by hearsay murmured lady isabel arousing to recollection oh hearsay has carlyle shut the beast or is he on his legs yet by jove to think that he should sneak himself up in this way at west lynne you must apply elsewhere for information she gasped i know nothing of these things she turned away with a beating heart and took lucy's hand and departed lord vane set off on a run toward the house his heels flying behind him and now the contest began in earnest that is the canvas Sir Francis Levison, his agent, and a friend from town, who, as it turned out, instead of being some great gun of the government, was a private chum of the baronets by name Drake, sneaked about the town like dogs with their tails burnt, for they were entirely alive to the color in which they were held, their only attendants being a few young gentlemen and ladies in rags who commonly brought up the rear. The other party presented a stately crowd, country gentry, magistrates, Lord Mount Severn. Sometimes Mr. Carlyle would be with them, arm in arm with the latter. If the contesting groups came within view of each other and were likely to meet, the brave Sir Francis would disappear down an entry, behind a hedge, any place convenient. With all his face of brass, he could not meet Mr. Carlyle and that condemning jury around him. One afternoon it pleased Mrs. Carlyle to summon Lucy and the governess to accompany her into West Lynne. She was going shopping. 
Lady Isabel had a dread and horror of appearing in there while that man was in town, but she could not help herself. There was no pleading illness, for she was quite well. There must be no saying, I will not go, for she was only a dependent. They started and had walked as far as Mrs. Hare's gate when Miss Carlyle turned out of it. Your mamma's not well, Barbara. Is she not? cried Barbara with a quick concern. I must go and see her. She has had one of those ridiculous dreams again, pursued Miss Carlyle, ignoring the presence of the governess and Lucy. I was sure of it by her very look when I got in, shivering and shaking and glancing fearfully around, as if she feared a dozen specters were about to burst out of the walls. So I taxed her with it, and she could make no denial. Richard is in some jeopardy, she protests, or will be, and there she is, shaking still, although I told her that people who put faith in dreams were only fit for a lunatic asylum. Barbara looked distressed. She did not believe in dreams any more than Miss Carlyle, but she could not forget how strangely peril to Richard had supervened upon some of these dreams. I will go in now and see Mamma. she said. If you are returning home, Cornelia, Madame Vine can walk with you and wait for me there. Let me go in with you, Mamma. pleaded Lucy. Barbara mechanically took the child's hand. The gates closed on them, and Miss Carlyle and Lady Isabel proceeded in the direction of the town. But not far had they gone when, in turning a corner, the wind, which was high, blew away with the veil of Lady Isabel, and in raising her hand in trepidation to save it before it was finally gone, she contrived to knock off her blue spectacles. They fell to the ground and were broken. "'How did you manage that?' uttered Miss Carlyle. "'How, indeed! She bent her face to the ground, looking at the damage.' what could she do the veil was over the hedge the spectacles were broken how could she dare show her naked face that face was rosy just then as in former days the eyes were bright and miss carlyle caught their expression and stared in very amazement good heavens above she uttered what an extraordinary likeness and lady isabel's heart turned faint and sick within her well it might, and to make matters worse, bearing down right upon them but a few paces distant came Sir Francis Levison. Would he recognize her? Standing blowing in the wind, at the turning of the road, were Miss Carlyle and Lady Isabel Vane. The latter, confused and perplexed, was picking up the remnant of her damaged spectacles. The former, little less perplexed, gazed at the face which struck upon her memory as being so familiar. Her attention, however, was called off the face to the apparition of Sir Francis Levison. He was close upon them, Mr. Drake and the other comrade being with him, and some tag-rag in attendance as usual. It was the first time he and Miss Carlyle had met face to face. She bent her condemning brow, haughty in its bitter scorn, full upon him, for it was not in the nature of Miss Carlyle to conceal her sentiments, especially when they were rather of the strongest. Sir Francis, when he arrived opposite, raised his hat to her. Whether it was done in courtesy, in confused unconsciousness, or in mockery cannot be told. Miss Carlyle assumed it had been the latter, and her lips, in their anger, grew almost as pale as those of the unhappy woman who was cowering behind her. "'Did you intend that insult for me, Francis Levison?' "'As you please to take it,' 
returned he, calling up insolence to his aid. You dare to lift off your hat to me. Have you forgotten that I am Miss Carlyle? It would be difficult for you to be forgotten once seen. Now this answer was given in mockery. His tone and manner were redolent of it, insolently so. The two gentlemen looked on in discomfort, wondering what it meant. Lady Isabel hid her face as best she could, terrified to death lest his eyes should fall on it, while the spectators, several of whom had collected now, listened with interest, especially some farm laborers of Squire Pinner's who happened to be passing. This concludes the reading of Part 1 of Chapter 35 of East Lynn. Recording by Linda McDaniel, Atlanta, Georgia, May 2009.